We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And we're going right to the Western Hotline because joining me is Bleacher Report's Connor Rogers. Connor, good uh, afternoon to you, my friend. Thanks for making time for us here, as always, on WGR. Uh, what's going on other than, you know, free agency? Any any pressing, fun things happening in your life that uh, that maybe I've missed out on since the last time I talked to you? Hey, you know, nothing crazy. Just uh, getting through pro day season, which is a little different this year, especially after no combine. And before you know it, the NFL draft will be here. And with the Jets picking at two and all these teams in the top ten that need quarterbacks and a quarterback needy class, it's it's going to be crazy, man. I'm excited. I know you guys up in Buffalo aren't too worried about quarterbacks and drafts anymore these days, so consider yourselves lucky. Yeah, those have gone to the back seat a little bit. Uh, listen, I mean, I started, when I first started here at WGR, one of the first things that, that I did was create a podcast with Mark Schofield so that we could talk about quarterback prospects every year. Luckily, the podcast only lasted two seasons uh, because the Bills ended up finding a quarterback, and we haven't really had much to talk about on that front. Usually every year I'm coming out with top 15, top 20 rankings as the quarterback position, doing homework on all of them, and now I'm looking at like tight ends, and I'm looking at offensive linemen, things that typically teams who don't have many holes, uh, those are the positions you start looking for. So it's um, it's been a nice change of pace, I'll say that, but you know, I'll, I'll say for you, um, this draft process is probably going to continue to get pretty pretty fun to watch. I mean, I, I think a lot of the consensus right now is Zach Wilson, who I'm a big fan of coming out of BYU is the name, but you know, there are several other good quarterbacks that are should all probably be in the conversation with Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. Is Zach Wilson kind of the 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 picker bust at this point? And if if they don't end up going Zach Wilson, and let's just say something crazy happens, I don't even know what could happen where they wouldn't get Zach Wilson. But you know, who would be the guy maybe you're looking at next? Is it Justin Fields? Is it Trey Lance? Like who are you looking at is maybe what's one B or or maybe what's the second best option for this team uh, moving forward? I would definitely call Wilson the front runner, right? I don't know if it's Zach Wilson or Bust yet, but you know, going back to October, I was telling everybody that would listen, it looks like we're gonna have four quarterbacks go in the top eight of this draft. And and I guess I was almost maybe even wrong about that because now it sounds like five will go, at least in the top fifteen, you know, maybe even top ten. So quarterback heavy class, and if you have that many names that are already be t- being talked about, you know, well before the draft that, to go, then the Jets have a lot of work to do, a lot of homework to do to sort through these guys and who is the best fit and who do they like the most. And they're going through that process now. And I know a lot of people don't really believe the reports or believe them when they say, hey, they haven't made a decision on Sam Darnold, or hey, they're, they're not, there's no clear front runner. Well, it's different this year. They didn't get to sit down, you know, with a lot of these guys at the Senior Bowl. They didn't get to sit down with anyone at the Combine. And you're drafting the face of your franchise. So it's a, it's, it's a little different than, you know, taking a swing on, what, a wide receiver in the third round or something like that. It's, you're drafting the face of your franchise. So the process is long. But basically what I know is, on tape, Zach Wilson is the front runner. And, and it seemed, if you were asking me today to make a choice, I think he'll be the number two overall pick for the Jets in this draft. And that the one thing I do feel pretty confident about, and if it didn't happen, I would be pretty floored. Something 
uh, really out of nowhere would, would come along if this didn't happen. I think Sam Darnold is going to be traded, and I think it'll be for a second-round pick. Maybe they get another day three pick there thrown in that package, and the Jets eventually will just move forward with a new you know, rookie quarterback under center. So if it's not Zach Wilson, the conversation becomes really interesting. The guy I point to as the wild card is Trey Lance, and the two reasons for that is He's another one like Zach Wilson that he fits the scheme to perfection almost. When you look at everything that he does, sure, he's running a pro-style offense coming out of college. Didn't have a season this year, just had a showcase game. But if you go back to the 2019 tape, you see the throwing on the run. You see the powerful running ability. You see the power arm. You know, some balls sailing high. He's he's a young player, um, still working on some of his mechanics. But the upside is there. And the second reason is that. Joe Douglas is someone who has shown that he will swing for the fences. I mean, th- there was you know a guy like Tristan Wirfs on the board who played for Iowa, who had plenty of experience and looked like a pro-ready player. And Joe Douglas said, you know what, I'm going to take the, the guy with the all-world trace in Mekhi Becton. Now, to be fair, both of those players had phenomenal rookie seasons. But it just goes – and same with Denzel Mims in round two. I mean, that's an all – sure, the production was there, but the traits were just really phenomenal. So that's why I look at it and say, hey, don't rule out Trey Lance. Of course, don't rule out Justin Fields. But it does seem like the Zach Wilson show. Yeah, and I'm not going to ask you to prognosticate about where Darnold goes, but I do, I genuinely am interested in your thoughts about where you think he should go. And and the reason I'm, I want to ask that is because I, I think I still sit in the camp that thinks that Sam Darnold has never been given the situation that's allowed him to thrive or succeed or do the things we even saw him doing in college. He just has looked like a shell of the player that that I think a lot of people thought they were getting um, coming out of USC. So if you had to handpick a situation, a scenario, a team, a scheme, maybe it's a coach, um, who is it and why? Well, I know it's the layup answer, but it's the 49ers. I mean, everything that he does and you know, I've heard rumblings that the staff, they do like him. I don't know if they love him. I don't really know if any team necessarily loves Sam Darnold. When you look at a player that, unfortunately, has just not been good for, you know, what, three years now. So when you look at it for him, it's all tools. You're all projecting. It's all traits-based. So I think the 49ers would absolutely be the team you'd, you'd sit there and go, well, they know how to run the ball. They have that wide zone running game. They feel like they have the coaching staff in place that has worked with a lot of different quarterbacks over the years who – You see what they've done to elevate Jimmy G, who, quite frankly, has been obviously underwhelming in in comparison to what we thought we were getting with him. Uh, They know how to control the ball and maybe settle him down because the turnovers have been the big issue. That's that's really the issue there. So cutting the field in half, getting him on the move, putting him in a situation in a run-friendly offense and a team that has traditionally played really good defense, now with Robert Saligon and some of that staff, we'll see how that goes. It'll be something to keep an eye on, but... The 49ers would be one to me. The second one, and this isn't going to happen, that would be New England because you look at it once again. They're another team that knows how to run uh, a run-heavy attack. They obviously know how to coach up players. We've seen multiple quarterbacks there even have success when Brady was injured, whether it was Jimmy G, Jacoby Brissett. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't think Jarrett Stidham has done anything, but that's just because he's not an NFL starting quarterback. So. I think when you look at it, those are the two teams that that would be the perfect fits, but the Niners are obviously realistic while the Patriots are not. So, Connor, talk to me a little bit about Carl Lawson, and and I think the, you know that that's sort of the the move. I we'll we'll have a chance to talk a little about Corey Davis too, because I also it's another move I, I I particularly liked from the Jets, but I think the Carl Lawson move probably maybe maybe it best signifies what this free agent process was like. I think he was a player that 
30 teams fan bases would probably have signed up to try to go get. Um, you know, I, I think there was a lot of there was a lot of inkling. He maybe he just ends up back in Cincinnati. Um, would a team be willing to sort of back up the truck and 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 pay him money? And for the fact that. He ends up going to New York, and they don't set the market with Carl Lawson. Listen, do do I think they slightly overpaid or overpaid? Maybe, but everybody overpays during this time of year. I guess what they what they didn't do is go out and set the market for a guy who's coming off of an ACL injury. Um, so right there, I feel like they won um, because the Titans went out and they spent crazy, crazy, crazy money on a player who maybe is coming off of the year before his best season ever and immediately has a you know major. ACL tear and you set the market at 18 and a half million it was galaxy brained to me um but I was always waiting maybe not waiting for the Jets to make that type of move but I wasn't going to be surprised if the Jets made the galaxy brain move but instead I think they end up making the best move which is signing a guy who you know hasn't had the same production he had his rookie season but I also don't think has been in a great situation and I think he gets to be in a good defensive line is the position that Robert Sala utilizes um, and, and really thrives in his system so talk a little bit about the Carl Lawson move and how exciting that is for the Jets fan base. Well, I think you nailed it. I think, you know, Carl Lawson was somebody that had league-wide interest, and rightfully so. I thought he was, and I'm not saying this because the Jets got him. I said this before free agency. I thought he was the best available pass rusher in free agency. And what I mean by that is how is he winning, right? You watch the film, and you look at it, and you go, wow, he's obviously tops in the NFL and pressures are right at the top. He, he's somebody that when he is allowed to pin his ears back and go, he can beat you in a variety of ways, speed to power, uh, speed rush on the outside. He can counter inside. He's gotten better over the run and over the years. You know, no, there's not these like unblocked sacks. They're not constantly using him on stunts. Where you, so, these are good players that sign, like Trey Hendrickson, Bud Dupree, you know, y- Yannick Ngakwe. They're good players, but you know, Ngakwe is a guy that is is a little bit of a one trick pony. He's really good at it with that outside rush, and then. You know, Hendrickson was obviously a part of a good defense, and I know Bud Dupree, obviously the same thing. And for Lawson, essentially, I just think that there's untapped, I don't want to say potential, but really untapped numbers there. It feels like those sack numbers should go up, um, you know, in, in next to Quinn and Williams, quite frankly. And I think you're right. The money is surprising in a sense that it's, it's really a two-year deal, and they can keep them on the third year if they want, but if, if something goes – and you never want to say that about a contract right away. Well, they can get out of it, but – I thought Carl Lawson would get guaranteed money across three to four years, and he only gets two years of it. So what that tells me, the bigger point in getting out of the contract is that, and it was the first thing he said to the media, is he wanted to play for Robert Sala because he knows he's going to be allowed to simply do less thinking and just yeah. rush the passer in this defense. He, he, want, he doesn't want to be a guy that has five sacks each year. He wants to be a guy that has 12 sacks every year. So I think for the Jets, you're looking for, you know, obviously glimmers of hope with a new regime. The big one to me is Adam Gase. Nobody wanted to play for him. He couldn't recruit anybody. Uh, and I think it's, it's now at least you're seeing certain positions with the Jets under Sala have a little bit of recruiting power in free agency for once. Connor Rogers here, Bleach Report on the Western Hotline. We're talking some of the Jets' moves in free agency, which is transitioning me into another move I really liked, uh, which is Corey Davis. Um, you know, they obviously they go and get a guy that, um, and this is maybe maybe I could just turn this entire conversation into things that just baffled me about what the Titans are doing this offseason, Is they lose their number two receiver, their number three receiver, and their number one tight end, and they replace him with a 
banged up pass rusher at $18.5 million. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me. But to the Titans' mistake comes, I think, the Jets' win um, here. I think they end up with maybe not a guy who long-term should be sitting in a wide receiver one position, but I think for right now walks into a situation with Jameson Crowder and they go and get Keelan Cole. Like I think he's in a situation where he can be the stopgap at wide receiver one until the Jets can either make a move in, in one of their picks this year um, or, or whether that's next off season, but I think they're in a really good place with Corey Davis. What are your overall thoughts on the signing and, and kind of what it means for the offense as a whole? Well, I was a little surprised, number one, knowing that Joe Douglas is somebody who likes to capitalize on certain areas of the draft class. They came out and gave Corey Davis $27 million guaranteed on day one of free agency, which tells me that they had this guy written in ink as, we're going to go get him, we're going to do what it takes to get him. And, of course, I like the move because when you look at the Jets, I mean, they have really been abysmal at wide receiver in terms of when you look at it from – you know, bird's eye view of the NFL. They they trot out players out there that would be number five, number six on the roster when other guys are hurt, and they have dealt with that. Last year, Denzel Mims and both Jamison Crowder had injuries at different times where those number fives and number six had, had to start, and, you know, fringe roster players. So now what you're getting in Corey Davis is, sure, he, he's not this elite number one or anything like that. He's a really good number two, but just breaking it down, the Jets have now what looks like a capable wide receiver unit in the NFL. Mims and Corey Davis on the outside with Jamison Crowder on the inside with a draft ahead where they're going to draft for speed. They're going to draft a vertical target. They're going to find somebody like that. So now you have a rounded out core of pass catchers that can actually give a rookie quarterback a chance. So I like the move. I like Corey Davis a lot. Contested catch player uh, coming from an offense in Tennessee where the passing concepts will be similar. He'll be working the middle of the field a lot. He can make the tough catches, uh, very physical off the line of scrimmage, so he knows how to get open, and he, he kind of catches everything, which is, you know, obviously a plus when you're paying a wide receiver that much money. So it, it's a move that it's good to see them make rather than sitting there. And, you know, I love the draft. And, of course, there are a lot of, of great players at wide receiver in this draft. At the end of the day, it's always a dart throw when you're betting on rookie projection. And if the Jets are going to be drafting a quarterback at two, you know, we're excited about Mims. We know Crowder is reliable. But can you really just throw rookies out yeah. there, young players out there, and say this is it? They needed somebody reliable, and that's what Corey Davis has been. Yeah, long since the days of Brandon Marshall and uh, you know, some of the names that they were trotting out there um, with nothing at quarterback, but that were good, competent names. They just, you know, I think the Jets, for the better part of the last two or three years, have really just, to your point, been scrapping together names in order to just get out on the field. And, you know, I think it's, it's reflected in their record. It's reflected in their inability to develop Sam Darnold. And I think, you know, I think the smart thing to do is, is, is to bring a rookie quarterback into a situation that he's going to be brought into this year in, the, in New York where you have some veterans um, and you're not just relying on a Jameis, you know, Jamison Crowder being the veteran voice in that locker room, but, but a guy that you know a year ago was in the AFC Championship game and, and maybe bring some of that stuff uh, in the locker room as well. Um, that Corey Davis I'm talking, um, Connor. Maybe he brings more than just something on the field as well. And I'm, I'm wondering as this team continues to build, the importance of adding those veteran presences in that locker room, particularly because a new coach, um, you're going to want to, and I, and I figured they were going to bring at least a couple of former 49ers in there, um, just so that the message, and I know maybe this is an overplayed thing for a new coach, but bringing in guys that are familiar with the culture, familiar with what they're going to be asked to do, how important is that for a, maybe a new head coach who's looking to have early success? It's really important because it helps you spread your message and it gives you a little bit of comfort. I mean, it's like anything else. When you go into a new job, 
it's a little overwhelming at first, and there's a lot of juggling parts. Now, being the CEO of, a, of an NFL football team, it has to be the, at the top of that. So I think when you look at it for Salah, you know, they've made some moves on the defense already, and now we know they're in on Keanu Neal to play a linebacker. Uh, we know Salah really likes Kwan Williams, one of the best slot corners in the NFL that's a free agent out there. Uh, we know he likes Kerry Hyder, who has been uh, in a, pr- a productive pass rusher in a limited role in San Francisco. So he's, he's not going to be you know, an all-time starter or anything like that. But you, you build a roster by getting those guys and saying, hey, these guys know my scheme. There's not as much teaching to do here. We know they can play right away. And, yeah, you're right, mate. I mean, it's, yeah, it's something we talk about in media, and some people might get sick of it. But, you know, establishing a culture and establishing, especially for a team that, you know, they won two games last year. The guys that are coming back to that facility, uh, you know, I've heard the energy has been really good, which is what you would hope for for a new staff. But you really got to turn the page from what was two of the, you know, worst years in Jets football in terms of what went on at head coaching. So it does matter a lot. And I think it's something that we're going to continue to see really in this wave three of free agency. Connor Rogers here at Bleach Report on the Wester Hotline. I, I do want to get into a little draft talk with you. I can't help myself. But before I do that, I kind of wanted to get your overall thoughts. Um, just from a 30,000-foot view, when you're looking at what the Patriots – I had Benjamin Albright on with me at 1230. And it's funny because Ben was pretty critical, basically saying, you know, I, I don't get the narrative of this is just something that Bill Belichick isn't – you know, doesn't have a history of doing, spending big money on the free agent market. And, you know, I I, I also agree. I just don't think that's 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 – uh, I don't think those are opinions based in reality. I think for the most part, this is exactly um, what Bill Belichick has done over the course of his career because he really, frankly, has not drafted well. And to his point, he's now not getting those those tier two free agents to say, hey, we're just going to take whatever you're willing to give me. We want to play with Tom Brady. We want to run this thing at a Super Bowl. So instead of getting Kendrick Bourne at a deal, now he has to pay Kendrick Bourne you know, more than he's worth. So the only difference is he doesn't have Tom Brady's recruiting tool anymore. Your thoughts on the moves as a whole, I don't know if one sticks out to you more than another where you, you think it's overly egregious or maybe there's moves in there you really like. I, like I like the Judon move um, and I like the Hunter Henry move. Um, but short of that, I, I feel like I don't really see see any real solid moves man Noy maybe but like I just don't see it in really any of the moves that the that the Jets are that the that the Patriots made I'm with you guys I think that and maybe it's because you and I follow the AFC East that's so probably that there's I think it's probably right? it. I, I try not to be biased in my in my discussion of this but Connor I even when I try to take my bias out it really I I, I can't find the guy or the contract I'm like hey like that's that's the one. Like, I, even when you even when you like the player, you look at the contract and you say, "What the hell are they doing?" Yeah, right. It feels almost like they put things into overdrive because Bill Belichick is, at, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he'll coach as long as he wants to, but let's be real. The, he's no spring chicken here. He want, and he doesn't want to sit around and rebuild for years mm-hmm. or have a season like last year. I, mean, I thought the best contract they handed out was bringing back David Andrews, yeah, the center, who's the <laughs> team captain and. He basically came back for a dirt-cheap contract for the level of player he is. But the external guys they brought in, you're absolutely right. There are no discounts here. I mean, Nelson Aguilar got paid more than Will Fuller, Juju Smith-Schuster, like all of the top receivers. He might get a bigger contract than Kenny Galladay gets. So, you know, I liked Jonu Smith a lot coming into this free agency, but he got one of the biggest tight end contracts we've seen in NFL history. So it's it's really for – it's a little jarring is what it is. Now, do I think New England will be competitive? Of course they will. But 
are these super did they build a roster of superstars no did they you know they set themselves up to to trade more draft capital if they want to go up and get their quarterback of the future to play behind cam newton that's the part of it i like is that hey we don't have to draft you know two wide receivers we don't need to draft a new center we don't need to draft this we don't need to draft that because we signed all those positions now we could trade up from 15 and, and maybe go get trey lance or someone like that that's the part of it that i like we'll see if they're aggressive enough to do that but Matt Giordano is not, and you know, a guy that's approaching thirty. He's not somebody that you put him out, you know, wide nine on an island and say, "Wow, he's going to beat up your left tackle all day." That's not who he is. He's a good player, but that's just not the level of player he really is. So, New England got a lot of capable starters, but they spent a lot of money. We've seen them go out and make big free agent splashes in the past. I don't know why everybody, like you said, is just completely neglecting that. It just feels like the volume that they did yeah. this year was much higher than usual because it is literally the most free agency money handed out so far this year by a huge margin. So I know you guys are looking at it, you know, sitting at the top going, well, is this a threat to the Bills? And right now, I, I mean, who's playing quarterback for yep. them, right? There's still holes on the roster. I, it's not that different than, sure, they look better right now, but it's just not as scary as everyone's making it out to be. They look like you know, an eight or nine win team right now. Yeah, and the another team that I feel you know, maybe not not this year on the spending, but maybe just the way that things are going in Philadelphia. And I, you know, for me, how do I want to frame Philly? I, they're they're weird. Um, and Benjamin, like I, I had been on, and Ben kind of talked about even now, Sirianni. It's th- things have not started well there for Sirianni. I think there was a lot of thoughts he was going to have Carson Wentz, and now he's got the owner's guy, and he wasn't really able to bring anybody else at the quarterback position that he was thinking he could at least bring in for competition. It's all about Hurts, um, and this whole situation with Zach Ertz playing out now, where you know it looks like um, this Zach Ertz lack of trade might end up being like a legitimate black eye like people around the league talking how embarrassing it is that Howie Roseman really can't seem to get off the third round pick that he refuses to move off of for the Zach Ertz move and you know the Bills and the Chargers two teams that were really in it just kind of decided to move elsewhere and and I'm wondering what you're thinking you know that organization what do they do their reputation is sort of spiraling into the same place the Jets are leaving I think they're sort of taking over for where what the Jets were and and that's not a place you know for you could talk about it from experience that you want to be as a fan or as someone that's got to cover a team because it's purgatory it is and there's a similar parallel and that is owner control mm. is what that franchise has become and and the jets you know you said coming out of it it does feel like they are finally letting joe douglas do what he wants and they never allow that for a gm or head coach now you're seeing it, and we've seen the absolute disaster that are the Houston Texans. Right. You know, the Eagles yeah. recently won a Super Bowl. I'm not going to sit here and call them a disaster, but obviously things were a really bad ending with Doug Peterson, and it's, it's an owner-controlled franchise right now. And sure, that's helped them in the past at times, but right now it does not look good because you're sitting there going, well, yeah, I agree with the Zach Ertz thing. Number one, he's going to turn 31 in the middle of this season. He's coming off an injury-plagued season where his production was significantly downward. Uh, owed a decent amount of money, nothing crazy, but you're, you're not getting a pick inside the first two days of the draft. It, look at what the Raiders' offensive linemen just went for. Those are really good players, and they're just being dumped, essentially. So I think when you look at it, the trade market is always down for veterans with salary that are on the wrong side of their careers, and, and it's just reading a bad market, and that's a scary sign to me. And then you go back to you know committing to Jalen Hurts. I like Jalen Hurts, but now you're putting so much pressure on this young quarterback's shoulders who – 
he wasn't drafted in the first round, so it's not like he was ever expected to be a savior of a franchise. They drafted him knowing or thinking that he would be a sub-package player and a long-term backup because they were so committed to Carson Wentz, and that changed so quickly. So I think it's a lot of pressure on Jalen Hurts. It's a lot of pressure on a head coach that, you know, maybe this is a little early to say. I feel like that was an in-over-his-head hire. And it was a desperate hire because I know they offered that job to other guys first and Mm -hmm. got turned down multiple times. So, man, you're right. They are an interesting team to watch for a team that was expected to have such a good, you know, half-decade ahead of them after the Super Bowl. It goes to show you how quickly things change in the NFL. I wanted to immediately go to draft, but I'm, I'm having too much fun talking ball with you. So I want to ask you about your thoughts uh, in Washington, because I think the football team made a couple of really interesting moves, and they're the one team that I've stood out and I've thought to myself, man, that defensive line is going to be right up there with one of the things over the next five or seven seasons that we just say they're one of the dominant defensive lines in the league. They add Curtis Samuel and, you know, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, frankly. And, you know, coming from the division, I know that you've watched him in New York, you've watched him while he was in Buffalo and you watched him last year while he was in Miami um what uh, considering what that division is it kind of feels like Washington might be the favorite (laughs) I I, and I know that that maybe that that doesn't give any credit to Dallas but I don't know I don't think they've there they haven't like ushered in any reason for me to just automatically hand that division to Dallas I love what the football team has done honestly I'll be the first to say it that you know, we felt good for the last year because Ron Rivera just has a presence that he, he – that was the right hire. Let's just say that yeah. outright right now. For a franchise that was uh, spiraling, they made some really, really good hires at the top of their organization, and Ron Rivera was obviously one of them. And I do like what – it's calculated what they did in free agency. You go out and get William Jackson, who uh, can be a really, really – you know, a top-level outside corner when he's healthy. That's all it's about. You know, you get Curtis Samuel, who clearly has uh, familiarity with the head coach and with the GM there. He was obviously excited to go play there. And now you have speed in the offense across from Terry McLaurin's physicality and possession ability and really the ability to win in any way. They upgraded that quarterback. I know we're going to laugh saying that, but what we saw from Ryan Fitzpatrick last year, now going to this offense, they did upgrade or at least leveled out at quarterback, and the options are still on the table of what they want to do in the first round of the draft. And like you said, because this is how a lot of teams strictly go far in football, that front four is tremendous, and it's only getting better. That's the part that people are missing. What do we think, year two of Chase Young? What are we? It's going to be insane. And then, you, of course, you have Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne. I mean, they're loaded up front. So I love what they've done. They're going to be a really tough team to move the football on, and they still have some moves left in the tank because it's not like they're sitting there going with no draft picks. They can make – a significant splash or two left. And, yeah, as we sit here right now, them in Dallas look like the top dogs that are going to be fighting it out. All right, I'm ready I'm ready to, to underhand you some draft questions now. I just uh, – I, I think the Washington football team is one of the more interesting things. Like, they'll be a fun watch. They're, they should be a team that gets a couple of primetime games just, just so that we can see the Amish rifle out there throw into the best weapons he's ever had. And, and I think that's the coolest thing um, in Washington because I think, it, you know, the, from the running game to the wide receivers, uh, Logan Thomas, who was here in Buffalo for a while, like, they've just got kind of a fun roster, a fun coach. Um, that, that'll be someone uh, – that'll be a team I kind of I, I kind of watch as the season plays on. But I wanted to ask you in particular about one position in this upcoming draft, and it's running back. Um, And the reason I say that is I think each team in this division outside of the Patriots, you could all make a case, might spend a first-round pick on a running back. Um, 
if you were looking at what the Jets have now, I think they're a team that you could look at that and say, hey, if if Najee Harris is there, um, you know, are, are the the second pick coming around, and maybe they look to to take care of running back. What do you think of the top three in this class? And and I'll kind of let you you talk about all three, but and and whether or not you think this is a year based on the limited film we're seeing, um, you know, a guy like Trey Lance who has you know one game in the last calendar year um, teams are going to have less to work off of than ever before so do you think maybe that means we see a, a, a run on running backs and maybe there's no correlation there but I, I, I'm starting to think that running back is the one easy position that you know you pretty much know what you're going to get um, so maybe a team feels safer taking the running back three over a tackle seven or something. Yeah, when you look at it, it's, it's, the division really needs a lot of juice at the position. I think that's safe to say. And we've seen New England invest some serious assets into this position uh, very recently. Now, when you look at it, I think the problem with the Jets at 23 is they have such a hole at, on the offensive line, specifically the interior left and right guard, that they might just not have the luxury of doing that. And I love Najee Harris, three-down player. Uh, compared him to Steven Jackson, some of the pass catching is very Matt Forte-esque. Travis Etienne, you know, your home run speed kind of guy, north-south, but can also, he'll be fine in his own scheme. Javante Williams, uh, you know, obviously from UNC, they have two really good running backs. He kind of reminds me of Chris Carson with his power. So those are the three guys that could be the first running backs off the board. And I think the team most likely in this division to use a first-round pick would be Miami. I think they understand the need they have there. Them picking at 18. Now, what I always question with teams in the middle of the draft you know, because they're not going to take one at three. We'll make that clear. Right. They could move out of three and pick up more draft capital to do it. Can they move out of 18 and go back into the 20s? It's unlikely, but if they can, you can stomach using a a pick in the 20s on a Najee Harris, who obviously there'll be comfort there with Tua, which the Dolphins offseason, if you follow it closely, it's all about building comfort and setting up Tua for success. That's been the number one priority for them. So, I think that if they did take one, I think it would be Najee Harris. I think it makes the most sense. But I think the problem that's working against those top three guys, and this will impact all of the teams in the AFC East, is day two of this draft at running back is is sturdy. You know, Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis didn't play this year. Great pass catcher. Michael Carter from UNC, kind of the same player. You know, Chuba Hubbard, the speedster. I know he had a down year, but it's 2019, over 2,000 yards. We saw what Trey Sermon did in big games for Ohio State after transferring there's just a lot of – every year we say this, there's a lot of maybe not starting talent but committee talent. And all of these teams in this division are committee backfields. Yep. That's what they are. They're not looking for this this 1A, you get 30 touches a game, we run you into the ground like you're Derrick Henry. They, the Bills don't do that. The Jets will follow the San Francisco model with their new offense. They won't do that. I don't think the Dolphins can afford to do that unless they get Najee in the first round. So it, it's it, the running back position is getting very weird as the years go on. All right, Connor, bro. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for hanging out with me and talking so much ball, man. It's always a pleasure having you. Um, tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter if they don't uh, if they don't follow you now. Yeah, sure. At Connor J. Rogers, doing all the NFL draft work this year for Bleacher Report. It's been a lot of fun, and it's always good to talk to you, Nate. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure, man. As always, we appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the draft season coming up, man. You too. We'll do. We'll do. Connor Rogers there at Bleach Report. If you missed any of Connor's interview, please head to WGR550.com on-demand audio. Uh, Connor's interviews are absolutely fantastic, um, and he's a he's a great guy to talk ball with.